Uh, I'm Jeremy Vance. <laughs> Don't know if you remember me, but uh, you do. Okay, good, great. I, uh, yeah, I was on a nine-week sabbatical. Uh, sabbatical means a rest. You, uh, so I got to rest for, for nine weeks. And, uh, you know, I've been at this thing called pastoring, leading, preaching for uh, over 20 years now. Gray hair, I think, kind of shows it. And uh, so it was really good to take a break. Really, really good. And um, I just uh, want to say thank you to all of you for allowing my family and I to spend a summer together, uh, um, un uninterrupted. Um, uh, it will always be remembered, I know, as a blessing for myself, for Jill, and for our kids. So just seriously, from my heart, thank you for, for the break that we got to uh, enjoy. Yeah. As I was uh, gone, I got to spend a lot of time with Jesus. And uh, what was wonderful about it, it was a time that I could spend with him where I had no demands. I had no deadlines. I had nothing that I had to be prepared for. Uh, this past Wednesday when I met with the elders, uh, I, I said, you know what was great about it? It was all about being and not doing. It's all about being with Jesus without having to really do anything. And it was really, really a treat. Um, so I was thinking a lot about what I would share on my first Sunday back. What should I talk about on the first Sunday that you come back? What? What should you say? And so I thought, well, I, maybe I'll share a few of my pictures from my sabbatical. And maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll tell a few stories. And then I thought, but, you know, that's all well and good. Uh, what it really has to be founded on is some level of purpose. Like, I can't just tell you what I did. There's got to be something behind it all. So I was thinking through the scriptures, and I came across a passage that I thought, I think this fits. I think this fits as far as, what I'd like to talk about on my first Sunday back. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, as Autumn mentioned earlier to the younger people in the room. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses uh, 14 through 16. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along with me in that Bible. Otherwise, on these brand new, nice projectors and screens that I haven't seen. Uh, well, I came to Voice of the Martyrs and saw them, but I mean, this is, this is some nice stuff, high-definition stuff. So... If you don't have a Bible, you can probably read it up on the screen with me as well. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, who's a pastor in the church in Ephesus, which is um, near the Aegean Sea. Uh, Ephesus, a nice town in the New Testament. And uh, he writes this. He says, I'm writing these things to you, Timothy, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Paul said to Timothy, this is the key to godliness. This mystery, this great mystery called godliness, this section of the book of 1 Tim, uh, Timothy is the key to it. 
This is what it takes to display the character of God in our lives. From this passage of Scripture, we can discover the ingredients on how to live our lives in such a way that will bring God, our Heavenly Father, great joy. And so the first ingredient that I see in this text that Paul lays out, if we are going to grow in godliness, the first ingredient is love. We have to have an environment of love in order to grow in all that God desires for us. Uh, that's what I think Paul is alluding to here back up in verse 14. He says, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. Timothy, or Paul, missed Timothy. Paul loved Timothy, and he loved the church in Ephesus. You can go all the way back to Acts chapter 20, the second half of Acts chapter 20, and uh, when Paul knew that he wouldn't see the leaders of the church in Ephesus anymore, they wept with one another. They cried on each other's shoulders. They really loved one another. Uh, he wrote a letter. He actually wrote three letters to the church in Ephesus. He wrote Ephesians, and he wrote First and Second Timothy, all because he loved this church. And in the beginning of Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 1, Paul tells them that he's praying for them. And then at the end of the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6, he, he, te- he, he wants to impart his love to them. How he wanted to be in their presence. He wanted to hang out with them. He wanted to be around them. You see, the fact of the matter is, love expresses itself best when we are face-to-face. We express love best when we're with one another. Now, I left on June 12th. Right after church, my family and I went to Madison, Wisconsin, where I had signed up for a workshop. It was called Writing Your First Novel. This is a picture of Bethany there. We were on the terrace at, at UW-Madison. And, and uh, anyway, we, we were there, and, um, and I took this five-day class called Writing Your, writing a no- writing your First Novel. And uh, it was awesome. I mean, it was like drinking from a fire hose. And we were like 16 people in this workshop, and I didn't even realize it when I signed up. Like, it's hard to get into this class, but, you know, by God's grace, I I was able to. And, I mean, I am literally, I am the novice novelist in the room. I, uh, I, right next to me, a guy was an editor for the L.A. Times. And uh, across the way, there was a a professor of literature at some college, and she was writing a novel. I mean, all these people, I I just was like, okay, I'm the baby here, you know, just learning on on how to write a novel. But it it was a wonderful time, and I got to stay. We stayed in Madison all the way through Father's Day. I got a picture of my girls and I having lunch uh, for Father's Day over there in Madison. And uh, just such a great kickoff. To, to the nine weeks. And then the following week after that, I spent a whole week with Tom Beshta. Now, some of you know the name Tom Beshta. Others of you don't. Tom Beshta is a retired art teacher from Balders. And uh, one of the things I wanted to do is not only start to write a novel, but I also wanted to learn how to paint with oils, uh, oil paintings. I, I uh, have drawn a lot. I like to draw. I've drawn and, I, and I, I've used a few different paint mediums. Um, I've done some sculpting, but I've never used oil paints. I've been kind of afraid of them, you know, and so Tom agreed to uh, give me a week-long workshop from nine in the morning till noon 
learning how to paint with oil paints, and it was just really great. It was great to not only paint and learn how to do it, but it was great to spend the week with Tom and his wife Andy every so often popped their head in the workshop, and it was really a great time. A after that, we went to uh, Door County, the family and I, and well, actually, I'm not going to give you, like, you know, play, bore you with the play-by-play week-by-week, but I got to tell you, by the time we got to Door County, we're in week three, right? We're in Door County, and uh, I started missing all of you, actually. Like, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm not at church, I'm not with my peeps, you know what I'm saying? And, and uh, we went to church in Door County, and when we were in Madison, we went to church at Blackhawk, and and throughout the nine weeks, we went to a number of different churches. But I got to tell you, there's nothing like coming to be with the family. There's nothing like worshiping with people that you know and you love. And you, they know you, and they love you. I mean, I'm sitting here singing, and I'm like, Jeremy, look at the lights. It's going to be okay. Take a deep breath. <laughs> Don't get up there bawling your head off. But, you know, there's something about getting together, something about being with one another, and it, it has to do with love. So it's good, it's good to be back. It really is. It leads me to the next point. Um, if we're going to grow in godliness, then it must include a connection to church. We can't just sort of be fly-by-night church attenders, if we really want to grow in godliness, we have to be connected to the church. Paul says in verse 15, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. Matter of fact, if you read through 1 Timothy, it's all about your Christian conduct. It's all about how to conduct yourself in the church. But these verses here, right at the very heart of the book of 1 Timothy, right in the center of it, is at the very center of what it means to conduct ourselves in a way that we ought to conduct ourselves in the church. Now, if you had nine weeks given to you where you had to stop doing what you normally do and you had to conduct yourself in a certain way, what do you think you'd do with that? I mean, if you... If you were told, listen, you got to stop your job for nine weeks, or you got to stop doing whatever occupies your time for nine weeks and do something else, how would you structure those nine weeks? That was my challenge. So I, I had a goal. The goal was to refresh my creative heart and mind. That, that was my goal, to just fan into flame that creative heart. And I wanted to do it through writing fiction, writing a novel, uh, at least getting it started, and painting. And I can tell you by God's grace, I was able to do that, and I think it worked. I feel quite refreshed. I feel quite rejuvenated. And yet in a consistent way, over time, the place where God has designed for us to grow in godliness is in the church that we are a part of a body of believers. We're an active part of a body of believers. We, you and I, as the church, are to be a family. We're to operate like a family 
would operate. Paul writes this in uh, 1 Timothy 3.15. Again, he writes how we ought to conduct ourselves, and then he says it's in the household of God. We are God's household. Does Faith Church, those of you who say this is the church I attend, this is the church I'm about, does Faith Church feel like family to you? Do you have that sense of family? I mean, you think about what, what a family is all about. Family is with one another. A family knows each other and knows a lot about one another. This past summer, again, I got to spend it with my family. And that primarily meant I was spending it with Jill, my wife, and my three daughters, Allison, who's 21, and then Kara and Bethany, uh, 14 and now 12. And uh, we spent a lot of time together. And uh, we decided to do some trips. One trip that we wanted to go on was we wanted to go on the Canadian side of the Niagara Falls. We, we had this idea that we would go over on the Canadian side of the Niagara Falls. I've been told that that's kind of the cool side to go on. That's really where cool scene, a uh, really good view of the falls and all that. So, so we applied for passports for our girls. I had mine and, and uh, Jill had hers, but we applied for passports for our girls. And, and uh, actually, Kara's, um, all of the documents, I don't, you, you know, you got to send in birth certificates and all, all the documents and her passport, the State Department lost. I know, it's like your biggest fear, right? You mean to tell me all these precious documents I'm giving to you and you're trust, I'm trusting that you're going to give them back to me? Well, I called the State Department, you know, they weren't sure what happened. They actually like said, well, this is part of our investigation division, so we'll have to look into it. And then they called me, I think we got this squared away. When do you need it? I said when we needed it, and they said, they said it'll be there. So literally, like the last day, we're waiting. We got all our reservations. Everything's all set. We're waiting for Kara's passport to come back, and it doesn't show up. And we got to go, right? So our plan was to take the Badger Ferry across Lake Michigan, shoot across the state of Michigan, and then on into Canada and go over to Niagara Falls. What we decided is we'll take the Badger across, and then we'll just hang out in the state of Michigan. So we went up to Traverse City and up to Mackinac Island. It was really quite a fun, you know, spontaneous vacation that we, that we spent with one another. Um, so we, uh, in, in sort of the, the quickness of getting it all set, we, we stayed in hotels that were, let's just say they were a bit tight, okay? We were all kind of crammed into hotel rooms, and um, if you've ever been with me at a retreat, or um, I know some of you guys have taken on leadership trips where we camp together and stuff, uh, you know something about me that the rest of you probably should know. Um, I hate to admit this, but I snore. I've never heard myself snore, but people tell me I snore. And another little tidbit about me is I can fall asleep on a dime. Boom. I mean, if you said, Jeremy, why don't you lay down on the stage and fall asleep? I could do it. I could just lay right down and boom, I'd be out like, you know, instantaneously. And so it got to be sort of this joke when we were in Michigan. Um, Allison would say to Jill, uh, Mom, Mom, keep Dad up. You know, make him read or do something so that we can fall asleep first so we don't have to hear him snoring. And then I would, I would lay my head down on the pillow, and then 
all my girls, they're like, oh, no, 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 he's falling asleep. We've got like two minutes. We've got to fall asleep before he does. Otherwise, we're going to hear him snoring. And uh, so it kind of was this running joke about, you know, not being able to sleep and, uh, and dad's always snoring. And so we got back. And uh, honestly, I worked it out with the State Department. They found all her documents. They found the passport. And then they ended up mailing it to us. Of course, the vacation was over, but everything's squared away there. And uh, I went online, and I bought what's called a snore guard. Have you ever heard of this? A, a snore guard, if, you, if you've never heard of one, it, it's basically just imagine taking like 10 marshmallows and stuffing them in your mouth and then putting some pieces of metal in there to hold your jaw in a certain position, and then you try to fall asleep with that in your mouth. Try, try that one. That's pretty much what this snore guard is all about. You stick this monstrosity in your mouth, and then you say, oh, hey, I'm going to fall asleep now. Well, over the course of the remaining time on our sabbatical, I actually got kind of used to the old snore guard. And uh, they said it actually helps. They say that I really am not making the noises that I used to make. Uh, so uh, note to self, those of you who, uh, you know, maybe have an issue there. Uh, but anyway, uh, the fact of the matter is, when we're with family, uh, we know one another. I mean, we're, you know, and we have to put up with one another in some ways. I mean, we all have our little quirks. We all have our little uh, things that, you know, maybe get under other people's skin, like, like me snoring. And, and we have to make some adjustments when we're about family. And so I've made this adjustment to buy this monstrosity called a snore guard and try to sleep with it in my mouth. And and in the church, we, we have to make these kinds of adjustments because God has put us together to be a family. And as a family, we, we work with one another in order to push each other to grow in godliness as his children. The church. The church is also to be where God is evident where we can say, oh, yeah, 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 God is evident in that place for sure. That's why he says in the middle of verse 15, which is the church of the living God. To grow in godliness, God must be present. We must sense his impact. So this novel that I started working on, I'm still working on, um, I would set aside mornings to write. From about 9 a.m. to noon, I would, I would write. And uh, I really dove into the writing when I had a trip to Canada. I went with Keith Tuttle and uh, Vance Higdon, and we just had a wonderful week up in Canada. Actually, I have a picture of Keith and Vance. There, there they are. There, we were eating fish. You know, that would make sense. Um, we got to the point by the end of the week where, like, I really don't want fish anymore. Um, but, um, but it was a, a blast of a time with them. And if you have any doubts that God is alive, Take a trip up to, up to Canada and just spend some time on a quiet lake. I mean, you, you, you just can't help but see that God is alive. And I, I caught some lunkers. I brought some pictures. So I caught a 33 and a quarter inch northern. That was a lot of fun. And I caught a 23 inch walleye. That was a lot of fun. And um, I uh, have this camera that I like. It's a pretty nice camera that I have. And I was able, my favorite picture of Canada was where this beaver was pretty far off in the distance, and I got to zoom in on him and take his picture swimming across the lake, kind of like that. That's pretty cool. 
And, uh, and then, of course, the sunsets. I mean, really, uh, this doesn't really capture it like it really was, but just beautiful sunset after sunset. I mean, you, you've seen beautiful sun. I mean, you look at a sunset, and you've got to say, okay, there is a God. And quite honestly, he's quite an amazing artist. He is incredible. I mean, this, this was so rejuvenating. And uh, the question is, is God real? And is he real in this place? What is the evidence that we have that God is alive, that we are, faith church is the church or a church of the living God? It's not just about gaining knowledge. It's not just about going through the motions. Is God changing our lives? Is God continuing to make a difference in our lives. On the sabbatical, I can honestly tell you, God changed my life through those nine weeks. God really touched me deeply through those nine weeks. I think he moved me toward godliness in those nine weeks. Is he moving you? Well, the church is family. The church is to be dynamic where God is alive and active. And the church is a place where we must communicate the truth. We must be a place where we are the ones who are holders of God's truth. Uh, verse 15 ends this way, that the church is the pillar and support of the truth. Now, in the first century Christians in Ephesus, when Paul, Paul was very specific using the words pillar and support of the truth, or pillar and foundation of the truth. He was, when the first century Christians in Ephesus heard that, they had a picture in their mind that immediately came to them. Because in the center of the city of Ephesus, Ephesus was known as the place where you would go to worship the goddess Artemis. Now, Artemis was believed to be the daughter of Zeus. She was the goddess of the moon. And they built this incredible temple to Artemis that was bigger than a football field. Here's an artist's rendition of that temple. Huge temple, huge foundation, and it was all about pillars. Pillar after pillar after pillar. And what Paul was alluding to, I believe, is he was saying, listen, you've heard about pillars and you've heard about how they're on this firm foundation, but it's the church that's the pillar and the foundation of the truth. It's the church that must stand firm on the truth of God's word. And those pillars, as they lifted up the, the, the roof so that all could see this incredible temple, the church is to lift up God's truth so that all around us can, can see that God is the one and his word is where it's found, where, where we can stand up for the truth, where we can proclaim the truth. And so we are called by God to stand firm on the truth and then to take that truth and communicate it in such a way that is compelling, to communicate it in such a way that's relevant, that, that really speaks truth into our society, that's captivating and engaging. That's actually why I'm motivated to write this novel, because I want to take God's truth and try to communicate it in a way that's relevant and captivating. As we visited different churches, I was, my heart was blessed, really, because all these different churches that we went into, they opened up the word of God. They spoke the truth of God. It was really a blessing 
to, to me and my family to visit these, these other churches and just see, okay, God's word is being preached around this area, and it's really a blessing. And it was really a blessing to know that in my absence, you know, the previous pastors from Faith Church came back and were preaching the truth of God's word to you. And uh, by the way, a special thanks to Pastor Pat, huh? Like five weeks walking us through the, God, uh, the, the, the book of Galatians. Man, that, that was a big commitment from him. So I'm just saying thank you. I don't know if he's here, but thank you, Pat, for, for preaching uh, in my absence. The church is a place where we help people step out of their lies and into the truth. The church is a place where we uh, point people to all those things that Jesus has commanded us. To grow in godliness, we must move people toward the one who said he is the way, the truth, and the life. We cannot grow in godliness apart from Jesus. Godliness comes from Jesus. Notice in verse 16 again, by common confession, what he's saying there is this is indisputable. This is just a fact that everybody knows. Great is the mystery of godliness. Godliness is a mystery. And then he describes where godliness is found. He says it in what is known as either a first century confession, or maybe this is a first century poem in the church, or maybe this was a first century hymn that the church sang. Nobody's exactly sure, but it's clearly spelled out this way. And he points to Jesus. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. It starts with the fact that godliness is a great mystery. It means that godliness should kind of capture our curiosity all the time. And at the very heart of godliness is Jesus himself. I think we tend to want to figure him all out. But the fact of the matter is we can know Jesus personally, but he's way beyond our greatest thought. And so we should always have that mentality like, I'm, I, I'm looking forward to learning more about you, Jesus, in my life. So the first question I ask is this. Are we discovering anything fresh in him? Are we discovering anything fresh when it comes to Jesus and our relationship with him? So this novel that I started writing, it's actually about a guy who dies. I actually have him drowning in the novel. And then uh, he is taken to heaven. And I want to write a novel and think creatively about um, what our eternal experiences are going to be like throughout, uh, well, eternity. <laughs> And, uh, and so I thought I'd try to do it in a story form and think creatively about it. And I've got to tell you, as I have gone back to the scriptures and read those passages and meditated on them, and this isn't a theology book, it's a novel, it's a story, but I'm basing it on that, and I find myself just being mesmerized, just in awe and wonder of who Jesus is and this incredible plan that he has for each and every one of us. When I left for my sabbatical, Honestly, I think I needed a fresh wind in my sails. And I think I got it. That wind of Jesus and the mystery of him and the joy of him and the freshness of him. So it leads me to the next question. Is he central in our lives? Is Jesus central 
in your life and in my life? Is he like, okay, yeah, Jesus is over here and this is my life? Or is he like at the very heart and center of our lives? Because if we're going to understand the mystery of godliness and grow in it, he must be. It says here in the beginning part of this little poem, he who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, meaning his resurrection in Romans 8.11, the spirit of God raised him from the dead. And in his resurrection, he was proved to be who he said he was. Vindicated means, see, I said I was the Messiah, and it's true, I am. It's true. He is the only one. He is the only name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He is the one who died for your sins and for my sins. He's the one that rose from the grave, and he's the only one that can give us this gift of eternal life. He's the only one that can be our shepherd today because he's alive and well, and we can know him, a relationship that starts today and lasts forever. Yeah. So Jesus, is he central in our lives? About a half, about halfway through the sabbatical, um, I got a call from my mentor, Fred Shea, Dr. Fred Shea. He's the managing editor of Grace Theology Press. Now, when I left for sabbatical, I had finished up, pretty much finished up, a book called John, Jesus, and Me. And uh, I wrote it as uh, taking different sections out of the Gospel of John to think about Jesus and our own lives with him and, uh, and using it uh, possibly as an evangelistic tool. And so he called me and he said, well, we're not finished up quite yet. Here are some editing things that I was reading through. And, uh, but if you can get that book to me, the final draft of it, by August 1st, we can, have it we can shoot for October 1st to have it published. And so I set aside my writing of the novel. I set aside my painting, and I dove right into John, Jesus, and me. And I'm like, okay, i got to get this thing done and move it around and, and figure it all out. So I worked really hard on finishing it, and I got it to him uh, just in time so that uh, it's in the works right now. But why, why, why write? that book why have that tool it's to point people to Jesus it's to point people to the very reason why they exist why they're alive all of us are alive to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ all of us are alive to have him at the center of our lives here's a fact of the matter we anybody cannot grow in godliness apart from trusting in Jesus to change us and mold us we can't do it on our own strength. Can't do it on our own, you know, pull up our bootstraps. We must live a life of faith. We must live a life where we're trusting in him. And then finally, if Jesus does get a hold of our lives, let's ask this final question. Does his impact compel us to reach out? Does the impact of Jesus in our lives compel us to tell others about him? Do we invite people to consider him and to put their faith in him. That's the second half of this poem. Look at what he writes. Proclaimed among the nations of Jesus, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. If we think correctly about Jesus, if we have a right relationship with Jesus, it will compel us to tell others about him. You notice I'm wearing a t-shirt. Serve Sunday t-shirt. Um, in three Sundays from now, we are going to do what we've been doing for a few years now called Serve Sunday. And I don't know if you are familiar with it. I've got some pictures I want to show as I'm, as I'm telling you about it uh, just from over the years. 
uh, really, we, we put a big tent out in our front yard. And uh, we all come together at the 1015 service, one big worship service together under the tent. And then it's immediately transformed to where we're all eating lunch together. And then after we're all done with lunch, we all go out to our community with the love of Jesus by serving our community, by building bridges to our community, by helping out our community to let them know we love you and we're driven by Jesus' love for us to love you. And so uh, September 18th, like I said, I think it's three Sundays from now, uh, you can be a part of making an impact in Manitowoc for Jesus Christ by being a part of Serve Sunday. Now there's a little twist that we want to add to it a little bit. It's all about reaching out. It's all about building bridges. It's all about having an opportunity to talk to somebody about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So what we want to do is we want to encourage you to think about who you might invite to be a part of Serve Sunday with you. Uh, people love to serve. People love to make it, you know, go out and help at the schools or go out and help uh, clean up the parks or all that kind of stuff. People love that kind of stuff. So I'm encouraging you, who can you invite to come to Serve Sunday and serve alongside you? so that you can rub elbows with them, so that, so that they can understand maybe what makes you tick and what makes us as a church family tick. So mark it on your calendars. It's going to be a blast, and invite somebody to come with you. Beyond Serve Sunday, how can we look for ways to connect to our community in order to have opportunities to tell others about Jesus? How, how can we do that? How can we be compelled to reach out? The great mystery of godliness is that those who do not have Jesus cannot grow in godliness. Let me say that again. Those who do not have Jesus cannot grow in godliness. And if you don't have godliness, then you are walking in lies. And God desires us to step out of the lies, step out of the darkness, and into his marvelous light. People need Jesus. They need him. Their eternity is hanging in the balance. So the painting that I was working on, uh, I finished it, actually. Um, it was such a joy to learn how to use oils. We got, uh, he got me started, and then over the course of those nine weeks, I worked on it, worked on it, worked on it, finished it. And... Uh, I was uh, at the men's breakfast yesterday morning, and um, afterwards, Bill Niedemeyer and I were having a, a chit-chat. I, I didn't get permission to say, is this okay if I share this little story? You can't really say no now, I guess. <coughs> um, anyway, uh, uh, so we're talking, and uh, he said, hey, I heard about a painting that you painted, and I said, yeah, yeah, and, and he said, well, tell me about it. So I was telling him about it, and uh, and he said, Why, why'd you pick that to paint? And I gave him kind of a surfacey answer. I, I said, well, you know, when I draw and when I paint, um, I like to paint people. I, uh, you know, people, some people like painting landscapes or there's an artist in our church that loves to paint flowers. I, I like to draw and now paint people. And so I said, well, I just picked it because it's, uh, it's a people and it kind of stirs you a little bit. And he goes, no, 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 no. And in his Bill way, he said, there's something deeper there, isn't there? There's something deeper as to why you painted what you painted. And boy, he got my mind to spinning, I'll tell you. He got me thinking, oh, yeah, what, what, is, what is going on there? And as I've pondered it, I've thought, well, maybe it has to do with what a sabbatical 
is all about. A sabbatical is about resting. A sabbatical is about not being in a rush. A sabbatical is being rejuvenated in peace. A sabbatical is all about belonging. It's about renewing those relational connections like I did with my family. A sabbatical is about experiencing God's unconditional love. And I think the painting that I painted captures all of those things. I've entitled the painting Real Friends, and I don't have it with me here, but I do have a photograph of the painting I finished. And I just thought, that boy and that dog, he's got a real friend. And that dog, as Bill pointed out, gives him unconditional love. And you notice how loose that leash is? There's no rush. There's no hurry. They're just relaxing there on the steps with one another. They belong to each other. Now, the reason why I don't have it here is uh, per Tom Beshta's nudging, he said, why don't you put it in the Rar West Museum for the Manitowoc Art Contest? He said, there's a contest? Yeah, put it in there. So actually, starting today and uh, through September 18th, it's at the Rar West Museum. And uh, I'm just encouraging you all to go over and vote for it. <laughs> but uh, I'm not kidding. No. <laughs> but I think that that picture captures it. I think that picture captures the joy of the sabbatical, the joy of resting, the joy of knowing peace and knowing unconditional. And so, from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you for the gift you gave to my family and to me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us your goodness through your body, the church. Thank you that we have each other and we have you. Thank you for loving us and demonstrating your love for us, laying down your life for us. Help us to demonstrate our love to one another by laying down our lives for each other. Thank you, Lord, for the summer personally before my brothers and sisters here and before your throne, thank you for the sabbatical that we were able to enjoy. We love you, Lord Jesus. We're so grateful that you are our wonderful Savior. We thank you that you laid your life down for us and you rose again. Thank you for giving us life, hope, and eternity to look forward to just give our lives to you now, living a life of thanksgiving to you. Help us to lift our voices up to you now as we finish our service off with this wonderful song together. Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. Let's stand and sing, worship for our wonderful Savior.